Lukumve to season three of Americans watching the footy. Wait, how do we do this again? Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handle off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. From inside the centre square. Yeah, it's been a good couple months since we last recorded. We were both just pretty busy to start 2024, but as the opening round approaches, we ought to get this going again. So, hello, I'm Benjamin Castle. I'm Ethan Castle. Good luck telling our voices apart. We're both here in South San Francisco, California, alongside Ethan's cat, Ryan Harambe. Yeah, it's honestly... The start of the season has ambushed me this year much more than last year, where it's like, you look at all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, shit, we're like a couple weeks away from actual games. Is it just because you've been busier? Maybe that plus the opening round coming up a little bit earlier, the Ravens having a deeper playoff run, that could have something to do with it. I don't think much. I don't know. It's just, we've been a lot of elements here, and I am looking forward to it, you know, I think I have the best way, actually, to get ready for this season. Oh, gosh. Watching the four games that I never watched from last year. You still have not watched four games from last year. Yeah. All right. Also, I'm behind on, like, this entire season of Family Guy, this entire Simpsons season, and at least a handful of episodes from American Dad, so got a lot of catching up to do. Ethan, which are the games you get to watch? Uh, Frio and Brisbane from round 21, which... I've watched, like, bits and pieces of. I think I watched all of round 22. I think Bulldogs West Coast from round 23. Maybe Frio Port from round 23 or something as well? That sounds right. That was a game that I definitely had. And how about round 24? Uh, just North and Gold Coast. Okay, yeah. Um, Understandable one three to this, I think, aside from Frio with Brisbane. Wait, wait, wait. We saw the first half of Bulldogs and Eagles while we were out. Yeah, but I wasn't watching that closely, and I never went back and watched the second half in full either. I just kind of never watched that one as seriously, so. Was Geelong playing at that time? Might have been it. No, it's just, I was in charge of which other game during that. Uh, Looking at the schedule, I think, yeah, Melbourne Hawthorne, I think, was my responsibility from that day. Or, ooh. Yeah, I think I did get through Adelaide, Sydney, though, the, um post game yeah the ben keys game as it were but i think that's actually a really good way to get set for the season and i think it's also worth mentioning kind of our plans for this season maybe actually getting guests on at some point we'll see about that we always talk about it still hasn't happened yeah and we're really gonna need to maximize our time with me being busier and going back to school maybe as early as june fucking nerd so I'm trying to go back to school to get my master's and my teaching credential. I really want to teach full-time, already teaching classes on Sundays at a synagogue. I'm doing a lot of substitute teaching now. 
So that's keeping me busy, but thankfully that also means I don't have any like super early wake up calls so I can actually watch all of the primetime footy games. But we are talking, you know, through that, we have talked about sort of condensing shows a little bit. For example, probably not going to need to read off every last detail with stats, game time, things like that. We're going to be a little more proactive and just keeping shows flowing and also giving you things that you might not be hearing elsewhere just because we want to be able to differentiate ourselves. And if it's the exact same thing you're already hearing on the broadcast and on whatever other talkback shows and podcasts you might be listening to, you'll probably just press the accelerate 15 seconds button. Yeah, I I think we're going to be pretty good with that. And the other thing that still fleshing out some of the details on that we need to kind of figure out quickly is that we are going to be doing our own new award this year. Yeah, the uh, America's Brownlow Night. We're ironing out some of the kinks for that, really trying to figure out how we're going to vote on games and how we're going to keep that fresh, keep things interesting throughout the whole season. But for now, this is going to be part one of three of our team-by-team home-and-away previews. As we usually do, we're going to be going randomly here. I've got the spinner all set. We'll go through some details on rough patches in the fixture, but we already did do a good amount of fixture talk in one of our last episodes of the previous season. It seems like one that a lot of people listened to the fixture focus episode. All right, then. I guess because it's on my computer, I have the honor of spinning the wheel and getting us going. The first team in this hole and away preview is North. Um, Where to begin here? I mean, well, I would say nowhere to go but up, but there is a way to go down. You could lose twice to the Eagles. You could get the spoon. Obviously, North coming off of a three-win season and a pretty funny one at that in terms of how it all went. Two straight wins, 20 straight losses, and then out of nowhere, Nick Larkey saying, fuck your tank in the last round and smashing through the Suns in Hobart. There were moments where we saw flashes for this team. You know, guys like Eddie Ford or Hugh Greenwood having moments. Paul Curtis also among that young forward crop. I believe he had one of the finalists for goal of the year with the show he put on against Sydney in the infamous interchange breach game. This team also, mind you, had a couple of big positives that kind of lasted throughout the year. Harry Sheasel, the aforementioned Nick Larkey, George Wardlaw when he was healthy, but you also had just a lack of depth to the point where the moment a couple of midfielders went down really That was kind of when Hugh Greenwood had to shine. There was really nobody else. Yeah, Luke Davies, Uniac, and Jai Simpkins suffered multiple injuries. Simpkins' concussion issues were pretty prominent. And you also had Alistair Clarkson missing a bunch of the season. Yeah, and Brett Ratton stepping up there, and unfortunately, they could not get him a win. Which is really disheartening because, I mean, we have nothing against Ratton. No, I still think the way he was fired was just poor timing on the same spot. And we'll have a lot to talk about with the Saints and their structure and how they may have consolidated things when they come up. One note about North, they were the only team to not beat any finalists last year. Even the Eagles managed to do that because they beat GWS before they came into their own. In terms of what part of the Oval looks the safest this year for North, would you say the forward group only because of Nick Larkey? I would say midfield more so, actually. If you got the health of Davies, Uniac, and Simkin combined with a fuller season out of Wardlaw, I could definitely see that. Would be nice for Larky to have 
a steadier kind of second tall target there. Eddie Ford isn't, you know, super tall, but could end up providing some of that. I know that they just signed another taller target at the end of the supplemental period in Tyler Sellers, who could help with that at some point, but you don't expect a lot of these supplemental guys to get tied right away. In terms of the ins and outs for North, you can add Zach Fisher to that midfield mix, pressing forward a bit more on the outside. Dylan Stevens comes in from a trade with the Swans to add some wing depth. That was definitely an area where North were lacking this past year. And a couple taller defenders coming in, Biggie Nuon from Richmond, and Toby Paik was a very prominent defender for Glenelg as they shot up in the Sandville last year. Hadn't been on an AFL list since 2019, but now gets the chance. I was curious about like where you would think those last pieces of the midfield fall. I mean, definitely the additions of picks two and four and Colby McCurcher and Zane Dersma could shore up some spots there, but they'll definitely miss the leadership of Ben Cunnington. Yeah, I think he was more of an inspirational figure than an actual producer towards the end of his career, but certainly nice just to have that sort of guy you could draw on. Just as someone to kind of keep things together mentally, and I think maybe he had a lot more to do with them not completely capsizing during that non-Clarkson stretch than we assume. Thinking back to, for example, that close game against Essendon. Speaking of Essendon, they took away a couple of North's most seasoned players. I mean, Todd Goldstein wasn't going to be hanging around, so it's just, it, that's still going to be weird. And then Ben McKay, who we talked about a bunch. I mean, everybody talked about him a bunch. So the question becomes, like, what is this team going to look like defensively? I mean, you got Sheasel as a ball-moving halfback, but other than that, I mean, big opportunities there for the aforementioned Toby Pank, Biggie Nuon, and really the guy that I'm thinking of in terms of being a steadier defender is Josh Goder. I would also put Luke McDonald up there in the it-can't-get-any-worse-up. Uh- Routed into better form in the last little part of the year there, but most of the season pretty unsteady. Well, we're really thinking about the sleeper-type players here. Wouldn't even consider Josh Goder to be a sleeper at this point under most circumstances, but with pretty much no attention being paid to Nolik's background, I almost feel like he'd qualify. Goder signed on for two more years, so he's in until 2025. 190 centimeters, so might not be like the key guy there, but had steadier numbers near the back of the year, and in the games where they were more competitive, his numbers did increase. Played 10 games last year, including all three of their wins, so there's that. Missed rounds 4 through 17 injured, so hopefully a steadier summer for him will get him toward the front of the playing list right away. Who are you going with, Ethan? I'm going to go with Callan Dawson. He played in all of one game last year. He went over the Suns. He's over six feet, I believe, and had a couple of intercepts and just like intercept marks are just something that this team could use. That, so we're, we're starting with like the bare minimum here defensively, but I think there's there's room for him to kind of settle in. I just, if you're looking for someone to break out off of this team, the most likely place it's going to happen is going to be defensively just because there are openings there. Yeah, I mean, definitely openings for Toby Pink to step up right away. Goder, I could see really in the best 22, I feel like Goder and Aiden Core will, will have to have steadier spots in the fullback line this year, just out of necessity with Ben McKay gone, and maybe you could fit in some of the younger guys around there. The other interesting thing to watch for North, 
will be the Ruck situation, obviously, with no Todd Goldstein anymore. It means it's probably Tristan Jerry's time to shine. Opportunities for Charlie Coleman to maybe be in there as the second Ruck or Callum Coleman-Jones, who showed flashes as a Ruck second forward option, but wasn't able to stay on the field with some concussion issues. So a lot of uncertainty there, but I've got this weird feeling that we're going to see North jump out of the bottom two. With who falling into the bottom two, though? That's, I don't know. I feel like that's, that's the question to me. I don't think, I feel like there's got to be something changing in the bottom two or three. Yeah, I don't think North will necessarily be as bad, but I just don't know who drops down there unless, I mean, I still think even though they've really bought into the full rebuild, I still think Hawthorne's working their way up. Maybe we'll just see phase B a lot closer. I'm I'm finally not going to do it. I'm not going to say the Saints are going to do it because I know they're better than that. Every time I pick them to be absolute ass, they end up actually kind of good. Maybe then we'll just see, you know, it's being like, you know, I have no idea. That'll be a fun one to talk about as well. I still can't believe there was a 16 point gap between 16th and 17th. Yeah, I don't think the gap is going to be that small. That I feel pretty good about. That was the same size as the point gap between 16th and 10th. Something's got to give, right? Yeah. I feel like we'll at least be more competitive. I feel like that was disappointingly vague at times from us, but that tells you how little attention we've paid to North just with how much they've struggled as of late, I guess. Yeah, I tried to commit at the start of the year, you know, to watching more of teams that I haven't thought of as much. And unfortunately, by the middle of the season, it was kind of hard to do that with North. I mean, can can you blame me? No, I can't. I don't think you can really blame anyone there. I mean, I even felt some existential dread watching the Eagles in the second half of the season. So, yeah, no blame there whatsoever. Let's get toward our second team here. And as we spin the wheel once more, we're going straight from the bottom two to the premiership. Collywood? Yeah, um... So obviously, Collingwood won't be returning their entire Premiership team. It's never been done before. The Premiership 22-23 have never played another full game together, and that's thanks to Jack Gidevin leaving. I'm still disappointed that you found that out before we recorded our trade special. I wish I hadn't, but I... You messed up. I think that was one where I was just, like, on social media for, you know, reporting stuff, and it was just kind of there. It was just like, well, shit right at the top of the page. Admittedly, was kind of hard to miss. Couple big outs here for Collingwood. Not just Gidevin, but Taylor Adams departing to City. That's going to be one of the weirdest ones just visually, seeing Adams in a Swans jumper. And that the other big out, I would say, is Dan McStay tearing his ACL. Did run with the full group for the first time on Monday the 19th. So maybe we'll see him later on. As of now, you got probably have him still penciled in. If he's running already, I could see him back in by by like July. Maybe maybe that's even a conservative estimate, honestly. Tough to say with with Lehman injuries, but definitely opportunities, at least in the first half of the season, first two thirds or so for one of our favorite youngsters or Collingwood Ash Johnson to step up. And maybe if Nathan Kruger can have a clean bill of health, he'll get more opportunities because They'll be in need of some more tall security. The most interesting thing about Collingwood, though, is that they won the flag despite not having like that one go-to tall. And it was an odd case there compared to most of the rest of the finalists and most of the rest of the premiership teams. 
you would often have a tandem like you see for Geelong. Yeah, I, I will say that like as things went on, you know, in different games, there were different mismatches where they had a guy, but it wasn't the same guy week in and week out. If you did have the same guy, it would be Brody Majacek, who is one of the most consistent goal kickers in the game since rising in the 2018 season. We went through this earlier. I think it's what, like fifth since, since his debut in goals? Something around that. The biggest addition is undoubtedly Lockie Schultz. I mean, he is their one addition outside of the draft. I think he's one of the biggest additions in the entire league. And after all those times of saying, man, if he was on a big Victorian club, everyone would know how good he is. Well, unfortunately, now that's going to happen. Fortunately, for the sake of people knowing him, unfortunately, that it's a, a team that already has a strong forward pressure group and is going to get even stronger there. The thought of him teaming up with Boba Creary in the 450 is pretty terrifying. Schultz really typically serves as the link guy kind of to get the ball into the forward 50. And I think he kind of fits in with that whole chain very nicely. And then he's got the pressure ability kind of stopping counter efforts as well. Now, my thing with Collingwood as we enter this season, I was just thinking about this. These were shower thoughts. Let's try to think about like the, like their main weakness. Yeah. Over the last couple of years, they have shown an ability to win games by doing all the little things, right? Like never turning a ball over because, you know, two guys went for the same mark or doing things like having five guys in the goal square and none of them bothering to cover Joe Danaher. And like, I think some of that is replicable. But at some point, you're also going to have luck things that don't swing your way. Like, they're really good at controlling the little things. But simultaneously, at some point, the luck's going to run out with, like, opposing teams just missing set shots. And at some point, you know, just being good at the little things isn't going to be enough when you're facing teams that are really, really good at the bigger things. So I want to see how they adjust because... I'm sure they're well aware that the target's on their backs. That's, I mean, the target's on your backs at Collingwood, no matter what type of season you're coming off. But coming off of that season, too, you know, everyone will have scrutinized every little detail about them. And I, I just want to see how they adjust, because now they're the ones at the top of the mountain and everyone's going to be hunting them. And I think they're going to have to be better at some of the bigger things. They're going to have to have games where they dominate the possession numbers more, because they won a lot of games last year without doing that. No, just on on pure efficiency there. And yeah, being ruthlessly efficient is good. So is, you know, fanatical devotion to the Pope. I knew you were going there. But ultimately, they're going to have to be able to kind of do well on the macro as well as the micro. Yes, exactly. And I just want to see how they're going to do that because they're going to face teams that are better at the big things. Well, I, you just keep saying like the big things. And my, the first thing that comes to mind is that, you know, the continuing concussion issues of Nathan Murphy, you know, ruled himself out of the grand final a quarter time because his vision was blurred, still seems to be a little insecure going into the season in terms of whether or not he'll be ready right away. And then you also got the question of, you know, who's going to fill Dan McStay's spot? Will we it won't just be more of Mason Cox and Darcy Cameron sliding forward there. It's the key positions that will intrigue me because, because I feel like it just isn't sustainable for long to just keep winning without steadier key targets. And when it comes to the back, we saw when Collingwood did lose games and when they weren't playing as strongly, it was because somebody was able to match up more cleanly 
against Nathan Murphy or Darcy Moore. Make their one-on-ones more of a headache or lock Moore into a one-on-one when he really was trying to play as that loose defender. So that's why my sleeper for Collingwood is a currently untried key defender in Charlie Dean. You may recall last year he was put on the inactive list after a second serious foot injury, but the club has clearly rallied around him. He's done well in the training thus far, and I feel like he'd have to prove himself in the VFL first. His only appearance last year in any official game for Collingwood was their elimination final in the VFL. He did play well in that game, got tested a lot as Williamstown blew him out, but if he is healthy, he's probably going to be the next key defender up, and he'd be someone who'd be more like-for-like to replace Murphy than someone like Jacob Ryan. But we did see briefly near the back of the season who Collingwood tried to call flying Ryan, but that title's already taken. Where does your sleeper pick fall? I am making this pick off of sheer vibes. Well, in part because he fits this club's image perfectly, and in part because there just aren't that many legitimate candidates. I don't know if you can even call him a sleeper considering he was drafted somewhat early, but I'm going with Harry Dumatia just because he looks the part. Yeah, does have does have a little bit of an injury concern that might slow down the very start of his season, but very versatile player. History of leadership through junior footy and all sorts of speed as well. He was the one who was, um, I think, got some state-level youth cricket appearances as well and was like a ball boy at the Boxing Day test in 2022, I want to say, before deciding to commit more fully to footy. He does look the part. I agree there. So my my reasoning for this one is literally just look at him. <laughs> look at it! I mean, I feel like you went with a real vibes pick last year, too. You went with Reef McGinnis last year. He's another one who ought to get some more opportunities in McStay's absence, especially as a pretty versatile tall. You see him going upfield a lot into the midfield, maybe playing a little off the center bath. It's kind of coming back from a center half forward spot to contend. I think his versatility makes him a great fit for the sub role. McGinnis or Dimitri or both McGinnis? We did see that say I know all that much about Dimitri of the player yet. Again, I was just picking this off of just looking up and down the roster. Just like, this guy looks like he's going to be a perfect Collingwood. I'm looking forward to watching both of Collingwood's two first picks this year. Check with Joss' brother, Tao, is um, also in Collingwood's colors now after being picked up with pick 37. And who knows, maybe by that round 19 rematch at the G, we could see them face off. CJ obviously has absolutely no luck with his hamstrings. That's going to be a fun double up there, Collingwood and Hawthorne. Their first matchup will, of course, be in the Gather round. first one of the year. Ooh, are we are we keep track for the whole season or no? No, we're not keeping track, but we had to fit that in during the first episode. There were a couple where we went without it and it just didn't seem right. But yeah, that Hawthorne double-up should be a lot of fun, not just with Ginnivan switching sides, but also just considering the way that their matchup went last year and even the year prior. I think it was, I think 2022, Collingwood Hawthorne was when Ollie Henry had some fourth quarter heroics. Oh yeah, he's mine now. She's mine now, John. Obviously a very tough schedule for Collingwood, befitting of the Premiers. Double-ups against Brisbane, Carlton, Melbourne, Sydney, and Essendon, as well as Hawthorne. So, four finalists, one of the toughest fixtures by 
any metrics, and they're going to get at it right away in the opening round against the Giants. A shame that's not a double up. Yeah, I still, I again, I get why they're trying this opening round stuff, but I still think that you're the rating premiers, you're supposed to open at home, and we still need Richmond and Carlton to open the season. Yeah, and I do, I do like that at least round one, they'll be playing the Swans. So, you know, if you just plug it back in, opening round would have been a round five game. But I think they did, which they probably set the schedule. And then once the NRL stuff became confirmed, they kind of just like, all right, let's just yank a few games around and, and bring and bring more games to the Northern States early. Yeah. Which, again, I get why it's being done. I hope it's successful, but I'm not sure if we want to see it long term. Yeah. I am glad that they get the Swans twice, that we get to see that matchup at the G again. Because it had been ages since they played there and since the two of them faced off in Melbourne. So I'm glad that's evening out, along with some other fixture things that are finally evening out, says the Eagles member. Oh, yeah. I'm honestly kind of sad about that because I kind of wanted it to only happen like with us there or something. I'm just glad it's finally happening, period. So two teams at complete opposite ends of the ladder to start off with. Do we kind of expect this next one to fall smack in the middle then? Uh, sure. Let's find out. Are we even going to get a finalist for number three? As we spin again, we will get not a finalist, but a team that's playing in the opening round. The Mighty Sun. Ooh, okay. This is going to be a fun one. I've thought about this. This is another team that I actually just, like, thought about in the shower. Good. Well, all sorts of new young faces coming in this year. They, for some reason, decided, yeah, we don't need one of the VFL's leading goal kickers and let Chris Burgess go to Adelaide. Mavior Choles off to Hawthorne. Elijah Hollins left to play with his brother, basically, for a bag of chips. Cold chips, that is. As opposed to hot chip and luck. Yeah, but Elijah Hollins isn't a woman born after 1993. Correct. As far as we know. Will be quite a story. If he is, congrats to him for living his truth. Oh, yeah. But new blood in terms of four first-rounders picked up from their academy, with Talls being the priority there in Jed Walter and Ethan Reed. Walter has a collarbone injury that may sideline him for the very start of the season, but I'm looking forward to him playing alongside Ben King and Levi Casbolt in there as well. One of the big things that I want for the Suns is for King to return to more of that running half-forward role that we saw for him in 2020 and 21 before his ACL injury. It's something that was lost over him, something that differentiated him from his twin brother, Max, and hopefully Damian Hardwick gives him that opportunity. The big thing for the Suns that, I, that I'm hoping is that they can be a bit more disciplined than Richmond than Hardwick's last couple Richmond teams were, because that was something that really got in their way. You know, you talked about Richmond in their premiership years as hard-nosed and hungry for the ball, but I feel like that kind of disguised a bit of their recklessness and their penchant for giving up a lot of frees. They were also a very good counterattacking team. Let's not forget that. Definitely. And I think the Suns do have that ability going through the middle. I just realized, I think I'm not going to get to see this opening round match against the Tigers live because of state basketball championship. That's a shame. If I'm, yeah, it's March 8th and 9th, so, but I will see everything like that day. Good. The Suns didn't have trouble scoring last year. Big issue for them was getting up more than 2,000 points, which was characteristic of the bottom four last year, and also Essendon. I mean, they have. I mean, the strengths of this team are very clear. You've got 
one of the strongest midfield trios in the competition. And still, they're on the younger side there. If Tuke Miller is healthy, I would put him right up there as a Brownlow contender once again. Noah Anderson and Matt Rowell really started to come to their own. Anderson in particular last year was in All-Australian contention. It's the back line where you still have all sorts of question marks. Yeah, this is where, you know, I thought last year Caleb Graham was going to be that guy and then he ended up barely playing. Yeah, my sleeper pick from last year, there was Charlie Ballard and he certainly showcased his intercepting ability. I think he was one of the ones to get 10 intercepting marks and then realized Gil's wrath uh, and then feared Gil's wrath and decided not to get number 11. Who was the other one that was back there? Ballard and Sam Collins held their spots throughout the year. Yeah, Sam Collins was fine, but I, I just didn't understand why they didn't give Graham more of a chance. Maybe I maybe the idea was like him and Collins kind of, you know, just make it too big, too slow. Uh, Give him more of a chance? How about any of a chance? He didn't play a single game last year. Yeah, which is kind of wild. Yeah, um... Maybe Joel Jeffrey moving to a halfback role stunted Graham's ability to get AFL time. That was a weird move to be seeing Jeffrey move back. But they do have a bit of a surplus of talls, and maybe they were trying to plan ahead there with the couple that they had coming in from the academy this year. The more I think about it, the more confused I am by the 2023 Gold Coast Suns, and the more it makes it hard to project what the hell this year's team is going to look like especially with all the question marks under a new coach as well. Quick, Ethan, how many trips does Gold Coast have to the G? One. Correct. Two fewer than Taylor Swift. We know. Yep. Posted this the other day. Taylor Swift made as many visits to the G this past week as any non-Victorian side will throughout the whole and away season. It's Port and Sydney who get three MCG games, by the way. I think she had as many visits as the Crows have had in the last two years. It's not until round 24 that the Suns go there, which is perfectly though against richmond yeah bookending against richmond so i guess this opening round game would have been round three otherwise yeah that'll be fun also two you know two brand new coaches going against each other even when you don't think about hardwick's prior history ethan i want you to name your sleeper first this time god this is a really tough one because i feel like all of these guys have at least been pretty well established at the vfl well they were vfl premiers last year Go out on a limb, though. All right. I am really going out on a limb because we saw a tiny bit of him last year and he was kind of kind of frantic. I'm going to go Lloyd Johnston. Ah, you know, he could be a, an effective, smaller ball moving defender. Doesn't seem to be afraid to get into contests. He's definitely fast. He's a Northern Territory guy. So I'm going to make the very obvious low effort pick and say that he's going to break out when they go there. I just remember Geelong has to play there, and I'm not looking forward to that because, again, the Suns are invincible there. Yeah, they've swept the Darwin double each of the past two years. It was Bailey Humphrey who had a real breakout game there last year. Inconsistent year for Humphrey at his first at the AFL level. I'm going to go with another actually smaller defender option, another halfback flank in Connor Butterick, who did not see VFL time last year because he was injured. He was coming off back-to-back ACL injuries but played in the final two rounds of 2023 and has steadily been in the top unit during match simulation and is definitely fighting for a spot in the best 22 at the start of the year. He might get there. I've been following a lot of Michael Whiting's reporting about the Queensland teams during this offseason, especially the Suns, because of just 
how many questions we have about him. And Butterick's a player that I that had been on my radar the previous year, but it makes more sense now that he's in better health and that the team is and that the team has some pretty wide open spots there in terms of defense. The other one to mention there is another Suns Academy graduate in Bodie Euland, who we did see at the beginning of last year in the AFL. Ewan's a little bit taller. I'd like to see more out of him. Like to see up front some consistency out of Bailey Humphrey, who certainly has the ceiling. I feel like he's got the sort of same frantic energy in the forward half that Johnston does in the back, and he's just got to learn how to channel that. Humphrey does seem very bought into the club, which is good. And hopefully, just having a coach there like Hardwick will allow things to be steadier in terms of player retention, because that's always been the big problem for the Suns. They didn't ever go after... I mean, they went after a big name on the playlist right away, but never had the type of coach there that that could really draw names. And it's a tough market to go to Gold Coast. It, I almost think of it similarly to to how Las Vegas is in some respects here with kind of a, a transient tourist population. They did have Gold Coast is the shithole. Yes, and also they didn't start winning right away. Before history is written... Played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome back to episode 147 of Americans Watching the Footy, our season three debut. Don't forget, we're on Twitter, at Americans Footy. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. Uh, that grand final episode, once it got uploaded to YouTube, got a lot of plays. Yeah. Whoa, this do a number. I mean, the official Collingwood account even responded. I think they just said, what, like, how good or something? Something like that. Still, it was like... Damn, this doing numbers. Look at what it means to them! Individually, I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I am at Castle Media. Brian Harambe is on Instagram at CatNameBrian. And he's turning three and a half in a few days. He still sounds like he's a year old at that. I hope his voice never changes. Oh, I feel pretty good about him keeping the baby voice at this point. Sir, you have a severe case of baby voice. So, uh, we've gone through three teams... Let's do three more. Yeah? Yeah. Sound good? I mean, that that's what we set out to do. Three parts, six teams each. We've only had one finalist so far. We're getting another here in the Saints. You said you were going to have some fun talking about them. We both did, really. Um, yeah, I thought they were going to be the shits last year, and they ended up being, well, not the shits. No, and just a pretty turbulent offseason for them in terms of a lot of trades, a lot of players leaving. You had Jade Gresham leaving for Essendon, obviously. Jack Billings and Nick Caulfield departing as well. Meanwhile, they were part of a four-team trade that brought in Patty Dow. And it was known for a while that they were after Liam Henry. They did get him. Henry to the Saints kind of just... that That's one that does make sense to me. Seeing what he was able to do once he was on the halfback flank and wing last year. Now, how much of a loss is that for Frio compared to... A game for the Saints, I think that's obviously hard to tell at this time. How's he going to kind of fit in with Jack Sinclair moving the ball out of the back is what I'm questioning. Are they going to flow well? Do they fit together well? Are they kind of going to step on each other's toes? I was thinking maybe just 
right away start by having them kind of be opposite each other, play on opposite ends of the ground, being accelerators like that. That seems to be the most obvious solution. They're a simple one, but ob- but one that should do well enough. I haven't been focusing much on their match sims as of yet. We'll be tuning into their preseason encounters to see where Henry fits into the bigger picture there. The other big interest point in terms of the Saints is that Ross Lyon really seems to be in charge in multiple respects. Their CEO, Simon Lethlin, is out seemingly after a disagreement with Ross Lyon at the club, sided with the head coach. So they've got ex-North Melbourne boss Carl Delena as the acting CEO right now. Their search for a permanent chief executive is ongoing. Also, a number of injuries to start the season, including the aforementioned Sinclair. He's a test to be ready for round one and the luckless Hunter Clark, who was your sleeper last year. I guess fit the definition of a sleeper then because we hadn't seen much of him in the past couple years. Somebody whose ceiling I don't think is in doubt. Yeah, just always hurt. And it continues. This time it's a facial fracture and a concussion. Saints were really low in terms of percentage for the top eight last year at a little under 108. Seems like a bit more of a product of the Ross Ball style of slowing things down a bit more, which really took hold in the middle part of the year before they kind of rectified things and realized, oh, wait, this list can play fast. We've got guys like Jack Higgins for that. We've got Mitch Owens for that. We love Mitch Owens here. Pepper, as you started calling him. Yeah, Machino Pepper. Yeah. Higgins got one of the historic jumper numbers this year, number one. And who got number two? Marcus Windhager. Maybe they'll actually, like, play him then well they did near the back of the year did employ him as a tagger one of the few successes they had in their elimination final was having Windhager as a tag on Josh Kelly in the first half once they released that Kelly start once Kelly just started being able to get loose that was when the game got more out of hand for the Saints so I think that's a pretty solid reflection there of the way that Windhager is able to neutralize one of the top players on the opposition I am glad that Anthony Caminiti did not change his number. He's still rocking 47 because I, I want to see every number represented again. If if you didn't listen, you know, we did an episode, three series of episodes, basically. Who was the best player wearing each number this year? And we did have at least one guy get a game at every number. Yeah, Anthony Caminiti keeps number 47. Mark Keen of Adelaide keeps number 48. And I think Steely Green of Richmond still has 48, too. Ah, uh, that's... I can't believe that's a real name, Steely Green. I think Steely Dan might have been some of the inspiration for that. Maybe. Anyway, my thing with the Saints, the last two years I've expected them to be garbage. They have clearly been not garbage. And still, when I look at their list, it's like, you know, nothing over the top except for Sinclair. There's nothing all that impressive. But then you actually watch them play. It was like, oh, yeah, these guys are uh, pretty good. Yeah, everything just kind of falls into place, even... Even when Max King has been hurt or inaccurate, you've had players like Caminiti who have been able to stem the bleeding from there. Caminiti's definitely part of that second tier in their attack there, along with Cooper Sharman, who had some steadier time in the second half of the year as well. I think he was another one that we mentioned there in terms of the best by number. I believe he was our 43. Another number with pretty slim pickings, especially now that Wall is gone. Saints' schedule, though, does seem to be a bit for. Giving. I mean, maybe that's just skewed by the fact that they're doubling up against the Eagles. I think a lot of that will depend on where Richmond slots into things this year. That's been a double up in the past few years, I think we've seen that. 
Uh, we, of course, saw that this past year with the Trent Cotchin milestone game being against the Saints and then playing again near the end of the year, too. All right. Do you want me to go first with my sleeper pick or? Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of waffling between a couple guys. Just overall with the Saints, the thing that I'm asking myself is, do I see them with any higher of a ceiling this year compared to last? And I have no reason to believe that they'll really go much higher than the sixth place finish they had last year. Seventh, if you count, finals. We know how crowded the top is going to be. They haven't really done anything that's going to blow us away. They seem like such an obvious pit to take a step back. But again, I'm not letting them burn me for a third time in a row. And I do think like Liam Henry's a good addition if he's properly used it, if he stays out of Sinclair's way. Again, just Patty Dow can be a really high impact player. We saw that when Sam Walsh was out for the Blues when Dow was able to get that opportunity, you know, being the first guy outside of those main ground contests, kind of Crips feeding it out to him. So if you have somebody like a Jack Haynes or a Dan Butler that could feed out to him, maybe that'll work for Dow. Maybe Windhager's another one where you could really have him feed out to him. Windhager has that sort of aggression that I think could really help him in those ball-up situations. So where do you look for your sleeper in terms of Saints? I'm going to go with I'm going to go with James Van S because it seems like he's been pretty well liked among Saints fans. I feel like at some point they're going to have an opening defensively. Maybe someone gets hurt. You know, they seem to be pretty rock solid in that fraud last year. So I'm just going to bet this one off of the someone's going to get hurt and he's going to get a chance to go. That's kind of what I did with Collingwood with Charlie Dean Van S at this point remains untried at the AFL level and will probably need a bit more time in the reserves before taking that next step. I feel like the Saints are just, in so many different areas, are just like, yeah, they're good enough here. There's nothing, like, completely obvious. Like, for example, you had Cal Wilkie being an All-Australian last year, and then the next guys off of him, like, weren't, you know, household names by any means. You had Josh Battle there getting more consistent time. Their Dougal Howard was there, too. I think you're going to see someone there kind of rising up. And I think the other name that I think is going to reemerge this year after being strong in the VFL this year for Sandringham and with the need for a backup ruck option at some point is Tom Campbell. Resigned despite not getting an AFL game this past year. Not sure if you'd put him ahead of Jack, 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 Jack Hayes. But if one of Marshall or Hayes goes down, I feel like he'd be an obvious one to step up there. And I think he will get some AFL time. I think there's clearly some belief from Ross Line and the list bosses if he's getting re-signed without an AFL appearance. You know, that actually seems like a pretty reasonable bet in terms of just like, yeah, there should be a chance eventually. I feel like we're less um, convinced on some of these the last year. Why do you think that is? Just that we took a lens so closely to certain players last year when we were doing this that it's just harder to find new options? Yeah, and maybe I just don't think there's like those... The big-time guys are pretty obvious of, like, the newcomers. Yeah. I know most of the time we're avoiding, you know, the first-round picks here, for example. Yeah. I think the only—we've only mentioned one a new draft pick thus far, and that's Harry DiMattia. I mean, it's like there's—you know, there's so much Harley Reid discussion, for example, and we're trying to, again, not hit you with things that you already know. Yeah, I think—I like the pick with Van S. I think Tom Campbell—I mean, I made the pick, so I wouldn't make—so I think Tom Campbell would make sense— for me, and I'd want to go for somebody who's more off the beaten path than someone who got AFL time last year, like Riley Bonner, who they picked up 
in the preseason draft. What's a Balna? So four teams down, two to go for this first episode. And it's Tiger time. So both of the new coach hirings get talked about right off the bat here at our season premiere. And I had some fun watching Richmond in the match sim the other day, seeing how Adam Uze's outfit played the first time. A lot more emphasis on forward pressure, and I think that panned out pretty well for him there. You mentioned his outfit. Was he wearing, like, a Kim Mulkey outfit? Ooh, no, probably for the better that he didn't. I'd rather coaches not do the whole look at me. Oh, Kim Mulkey is certainly that. For those of you who don't know, Kim Mulkey is the head basketball coach at LSU. Head women's basketball. Head's women's basketball coach, yeah. Um, Had previously won multiple national championships at Baylor before winning one at LSU this past year. And her outfits are, she likes attention. I mostly call her Karen Mulkey, and I think that's pretty appropriate. I don't know if it's like a Karen thing as much as just, she wants to be noticed. It's not just the outfit, it's the whining as well. Like, on the rare occasion, things don't go her team's way. It's very noticeable. One of the biggest pluses out of the match sim for Richmond, Josh Gibkiss finally getting some AFL action again and looking good in the process. Remember, he missed all of last year with his hamstring injury, saw a specialist in Cotter of all places for that, and things are looking up. Damn. I mean, opinions on Cotter being what they are, the fact is they probably do have like some, uh, some pretty good doctors there because... They've got people with insane money. Yeah, that often does the trick. Hard to tell just exactly how positive you can be about Richmond going into the season, coming off a 13th place finish, and still with a reasonably difficult schedule, double-ups against the Blues, of course, and Port, still no double-up against Essendon again. I thought after last year, Essendon would have kind of earned that again, earning it by like not being absolute shite. Yeah, just by beating them. And also just being two spots apart on the ladder, just Geelong separating them. Yeah, that's sad that we're only going to see him for Dreamtime this year, but I believe Dreamtime is a standalone game. I think it is. Want to double check on that? Yes, it is. Standalone game, May 25th, round 11. Been a couple of years since that happened, so uh, it needs to be. Yeah, it's one of the biggest showcase games for the league. One of the biggest crowds it makes no sense for it to go up against anything else. Some questions about Richmond's forward ranks at the start of the year, yeah? Yeah, because uh, Tom Lynch is hurt once again. Well, yeah, it's the, the same foot injury, but also uh, there's a retirement there that's pretty important. You're talking, of course, about Jason Castagna. Oh, of course, yes. Sorry, did I mention Jack Revolt? That's that's pretty significant. So is Trent Codgen. Yeah, really relevant retirements in all three areas of the field. Even though Robbie Tarrant didn't get a game last year, that was someone who you at least expected to get some best 23 time had he played on. But a healthier um, Dylan Grimes could help if he is able to get over his calf injury in time. And I think you've got more prevalent kind of depth backup options there in the forward lines than you do in defense. You got the smaller forward solution figured out, I think, at this point. A better year out of Morris Rioli Jr. could do wonders there and you see how versatile Liam Baker is. He could slot in pretty much anywhere you wanted. He has re-upped with the club as well, which, as a fan of a Western team, is a shame. Is it a hot take to say that Liam Baker is going to win their best and fairest this year? I don't think that's that hot of a take. I think it's happening, even with Dusty returning to the midfield full-time. And you know what? We don't have much to say about the, about best and fairest, but, I mean, I guess, well, we aren't as, like, midfield biased, obviously, but... You think he's going to do pretty well in America's Brownlow? 
I mean, I think we've got a good amount of respect for Baker, so I could definitely see it. I mean, do I see anyone from Richmond cracking our top 10 at this point? No, not even Dusty, even if he returns to his top form, because I don't think we expect the team to rise up that quickly anyway. Another thing about the forward solution is that Noah Volta has spent the entire preseason as a forward. I know that you were pretty mixed about that last year. Yeah, I think it's tough because like his versatility is kind of his biggest strength. If you have more of Balta there in the forward line, maybe you're expecting Ben Miller to take more of that tall back responsibility. An incredibly tall defender who can moonlight as a rough, but I think, but is best there as a back. So maybe steadier time for Miller in the back line is part of the solution there. He was more prevalent in terms of play behind the ball during the preseason hit out. Important to note, we didn't see any of Dustin Martin or Tim Taranto in that, so more of a focus on guys like Jacob Hopper there as well. The thing that I had said was Richmond's biggest strength has been their versatility, and now it's a matter of seeing how Adam Uze wants to kind of move around the magnets, or if he wants to keep things a bit steadier. Hopefully, there will be some opportunities for our favorite maligned tiger, Hugo Ralph Smith, who does have one more year left, I believe. I think they gave him another year. A couple names that I want to mention for the Tigers that were prominent in the match sim, neither of whom I'm going to name as a sleeper. Firstly, we already talked about Steely Green, but we have to mention him again because Steely Green, I also learned that he survived lightning when he was out sailing when he was younger and also had a couple goals during the match sim, had some decent looks there and converted on him. And then I am already a big fan of their SSP signing New Zealand board, Michael T. Lafau. You think about like American football running backs or great rugby players who are great at lowering the shoulders and really driving people away from. Lafau can do that in the open field. And I feel like that's the type of physicality that we want to see more of in Australian football. He had a really good one of those to set up a goal in the fourth of seven periods in the match sim right after kicking a goal of his own. A lot of match sims seem to go seven periods. Not, I don't know why they're not getting you know, a full game into the, the B-list guys, or maybe they're just making the changes earlier, but that is something that we're seeing, like seven period stuff a lot. Were you going to talk about either Green or LaFau as your sleeper? No, I was not. I'm glad I mentioned Miller, by the way, because he was my sleeper last year. Ethan, who was yours this uh, Ethan. I'm going to let you go first again. Who's your sleeper? I'm going to go with James Trezise. Trezise? I think it's Trezise. He was their midseason pickup, and you could tell because his headshot looked totally different on their website. Still does. I would go with Monte Colina again, but I used him last year, so. But he played pretty well in that round 24 game against Port, so let's roll with him. Yeah, let's do it. With all my questions about the defensive setup for Richmond, I think there are a couple things that are going to be a bit steadier there. You're going to see a transition toward Tyler Young being the centerpiece of their defense, really like most of his year. And I think the the next guy that's going to be right up there with him could be Sam Becks, who was good in terms of getting rebound 50s last year in the six games that he had at AFL level. And as someone that I've just been keen on throughout the season, thinking as Richmond continues this transition out of the premiership core, and with Balta moving out of defense as well, Banks is going to have to be a more prominent face there. Can we refer to him appropriately as Tyler Young? Oh, like a Mylar vest? Yes. Tyler Young. I mean, that's that's how it's spelled. Sure is. You want to take a guess as to who's next, Ethan? Just spin the wheel. 
last one of this episode, or? Yeah, wow, but that escalated quickly. It's gonna escalate further, real fast for you. Ooh, let's go. I am excited to discuss things. Okay, so Ethan, how about you discuss the cats? Big picture, last season is probably going to be very helpful. Sucks short term because you want to be a finalist, but missing the eight probably helped get us the rest we needed. Ended up finishing 12th. Let the young guys finally play in round 24. Wish we had done it sooner. Toby Conway looks really good and I'm really excited what he has to offer. If only he had been playing ahead of John Seglar earlier in the year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that alone would have done it, but it would have helped. I don't want to keep bad-mouthing John Segler, but it's more just talking up Toby Conway, because in, in this case, yes, I, I can I can normally go off on how bad Segler was. Look, if you take it to Tim English in your first game, I think that's worth a lot of praise, especially considering the clear All-Australian year that English had in 2023. Yeah, it, I mean, he took it to him to the point that they had to change up some of the assignments on him. Yeah, it was Rory Law that ended up battling with him more of the ruck in the second half. You made Luke Beveridge make a coaching adjustment. Who the fuck does that? Now, if we break this team down into three parts, obvious strength was the forward group. Even with some injuries, Jeremy Cameron was amazing. Tom Hawkins is still rock solid. Brian is now the assist god. Ollie Henry had his moments. Brad Close is Brad Close. Brad Close just needs to make sure he doesn't vanish because there are some games where he kind of slips through the cracks and that's bad. Or it's almost like the coaching staff forgets about his capabilities as well. I don't know. It's a two-way street there. Defensively, Sam DeConing took a step back last year. I think that was injury-based. Tom Stewart is still really good. And if you really want to be a tough critic, you could say he's only the third best defender if you want to put Sam Taylor and Cal Wilkie ahead of him. I will put Sam Taylor ahead of him for sure. The issue, generally speaking, is the midfield, where it was hard to replace Joel Selwood. From a sheer presence standpoint, even if he didn't have that many touches, now you're replacing Isaac Smith as well, who also at times played forward and did a surprisingly good job of it. Yeah, it's going to be kind of an under-the-radar absence by comparison. There were times when he was really good and kind of kept the team afloat, and this team really just got whipped and contested possessions time and time again, and that's the one addition that they didn't make in the offseason that I would have really liked to bring in. I think more of that is kind of belief in the stocks that they already have, particularly in Jai Clark, who had a stress fracture, I believe, on debut, and thus had his first season really taken from him. Yes, and I get why you want to give your guys a shot, but I still would have brought in at least one. Even if you couldn't get Darcy Parrish, you could have found a, a way to swing a trade for something there. Yeah. If, at this point, though, I don't mind them starting to go to the younger side of things. Jai Clark and I think George Stevens is the other one that you're going to have that you're going to see one of their stronger VFL players in a down year for the twos. And I, I think Clark and Stevens are the, the two of them you're going to see at AFL level pretty early on into the season. The thing that I got out of the VFL was even if the team was getting spanked most weeks, there were good individual performances to be excited about. And it was just you know, a healthier AFL list would have meant probably better VFL results. So I don't look too much into VFL results most of the time. I don't think that there was a lack of quality players at that level. Overall, pretty wide off season for the Cats. Yeah, quieter than I would have liked. And that's certainly like my 
I, I hope to be proven wrong. I hope that their belief in the internal stock leads to immediate returns instead of, you know, returns a couple of years from now. While you've got Hawkins and a couple of the other old, older players still around, you mean? Yeah, exactly. While, while you still got the stock up for making the most of what you have elsewhere. Now, I know that w- one of your biggest concerns last year was some of the half back and fullback rise at times. With Stewart and DeConing down, the depth there was a little thin. And I think Connor O'Sullivan was a nice pickup there at pick 11 to remedy some of that especially with down years out of Jed Buse and Jay Cole Jaffney, who in 2022 were kind of the last pieces necessary for that premiership back third. Yeah, Cole Jaffney in particular was unfortunately awful last year, which sucks because I've been a fan of his. I'm a big fan of the Cole Jaffney goal tally butt tattoo, and I really would like to see him bounce back. But if not, I think it would need to go the way of, well, I was going to say Lockie Anderson, but then I thought, like, no, because we left him in way too long. Maybe more like uh, Sean Higgins. Like, uh, you just kind of got to take him out of the lineup early, which I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope he plays well. I hope he bounces back. I'm much more confident than Sam Decoding bouncing back. I think just healthy and not having a smashed face should work to his advantage. I think that's fair. Ian, the, the main question for this team is, can the midfield be good enough? That's all the midfield has to be is not good, but good enough because the the crusty seal of approval, the forward group, even in the worst case scenario, is still going to be pretty solid. Like even if somehow you have like a terrible combination of injuries and sets shot accuracy coming to get you, that forward group is still going to be pretty good. By the way, someone we didn't mention in terms of that midfield stock who has already seen AFL time and has, some, and has done some nice things there already is was your sleeper pick last year, Mitch Nevitt who I think was probably one of the biggest pluses to come out of last season. Yeah, I wasn't like going nuts over his performance, and he's not projected by Sporting News to be in a round one team. The other thing I really want to see, I want to see Jack Bowes, who's also not listening to this Sporting News projection, and Tanner Brune. I want to see them get into really like thoroughly stable roles. I think, I feel pretty good about Bowes doing that, he seemed to get really positive reviews from people that, but I thought he was pretty lousy. People liked the way he used the ball. I just didn't think he got it enough. But I would like to see more out of him, a stable rollout of Tanner Brune. I'd like to see people figure out, you know, what are we doing with each of these guys? As much as versatility is a strength, these guys need to step in and like master the roles that are asked. And I think, yeah, Brune, and that's the vision. The vision is for those guys to do that. I fucks with the vision, fam. Let's build. Exactly. I mean, I think the the vision will be to have Brune and Nevitt and Clark and Stevens all right there. But I feel like at least one of them would get neat in one of the other's way. I mean, injuries will eventually thin something like that out naturally, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And by the way, if I haven't mentioned it yet, my thing with injuries, there's one team a year that gets lucky and gets to avoid injuries. The last couple of years have largely been the Lions. I assume that it'll just land on someone else this year. I don't know who. You can't really count on it. And then the other 17 teams all have injuries, and one of those 17 will get absolutely fucked by them. Uh, two of the 17. If you count the Eagles as like a guaranteed one, then yeah, two. I'm counting the Eagles as a guaranteed one. They still have Elliot Glassbones and Paper Skin, yo. My sleeper for the Cats is somebody who has yet to get a game at the AFL level, but won the Norm Goss Memorial Medal last year as VFL Grand Final Best on Ground in a losing effort 
Sean Mana, the 26-year-old draftee, picked up with pick 36. Fuck, I was going to take him. Ha-ha! Mana just makes sense as that perfect Geelong pickup. They've done very well with their mature age draftees before. Mana had been looked at for the midseason draft this past year. He he can be listed as a midfielder or as a forward, has very good endurance for somebody who can be a six-goal kicker. And I can see him having a sort of Brad Close-like role where you put him on the outside, maybe even getting some time on the wing and accelerating play into the 450 from there, if not maybe like a give-and-go situation where, say, like he helps get it to Myers before going deep himself. People who know much more about this sport than me are very excited about him. I'm avoiding the obvious pud with his last name. Uh, it's a biblical thing. I, I, I get it now. Yes, it is. All right, now that I took your sleeper from you, Ethan. Shit. Uh, I didn't think I'd fluster you when it came to Geelong. I was all set on using him. Uh, let's go with, let's go with Mitch Hardy. The midseason draftee. I am, you, I am picking Mitch Hardy off the logic of they kept him around even though we didn't get a game at the AFL level after being a midseason draftee, which it means they must like him. And he's another 26-year-old there, so if you're looking for somebody who's more seasoned to fit into the midfield, be one of the better contested ball getters, I think Hardy fits in there. I'm glad we mentioned him after I hadn't before. I think you just like your bitches. No, I think in this case, it was seriously just like, there's a reason he's still there. I hope we get to see that reason. I like that. I like that a lot. And with that, we are through our season three premiere. We've yet to see a whole lot of interclub match sims, so hopefully as those come along, that'll shape our understanding of the deeper part of the list a bit better for these 12 teams we have yet to cover. We'll see how many times we steal our sleeper picks away from each other as well, because we've got the counter at one so far, and I expect it to go higher. A reminder, again, that we are on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Americans Footy. All of our podcast episodes get uploaded to YouTube, and I'll keep at it with some more shorts going into the season as well. Individually, Benjamin HK01 for me, Castle Media for me, Cat Name Brian on Instagram for him. When I say him, I place my hand on the adorable son sleeping next to me. Is he a mighty son? Sure, he can be mighty. He's strong and smart, too. He knows the word stealing. I should have tried that on him while he was away. Ah, uh, maybe for the next episode. See y'all soon, I guess?